Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. You made it to Friday, August 4th. I'm your host, Stephen Overley. Hollywood writers who have been on the picket line for months are now back in the negotiating table. They agreed to resume contract talks with studios today, and I'll be most interested to see whether the two sides have made any concessions on AI, a big sticking point that led writers to strike in the first place. Workers in the entertainment industry, really like all industries, are anxious about the rapid adoption of AI and whether companies will use it to replace them. There's really no doubt about where today's guest stands on artificial intelligence. I do not think that I can stop it. I don't think that anything I'm writing about can stop what I see as the crushing of our industry. Justine Bateman has been writing, directing, and producing films for years in Hollywood. For years before that, she was in front of the camera, including her Emmy-nominated role on the sitcom Family Ties. But lately, she's most often making headlines as an anti-AI activist. At least when it comes to Hollywood. She's been advising SAG-AFTRA during its contract negotiations with film studios and streamers, talks in which AI has become a central dispute and a key reason why actors and writers are currently on strike. Writers fear AI will be used to generate new scripts, and actors worry that their image and their voice will be used to generate new scenes. Bateman's concerns are even more existential a threat to artistic expression, and entertainment as we know it. How often are you talking about AI with, you know, your friends and colleagues and and peers? I'm sure even more now with the strike, but how often are you talking about AI with folks in in your your industry and in your friend group? It's it's 80% of what I talk about. (laughs) I mean, I love my friends and I especially appreciate for any of them that are, most of them are very interested in this, but um, for any of them that aren't, you know, I, I'll say right here and now, I love you and I really appreciate you uh, hearing me out. <laughs> just, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to convince anyone and everything, but just like hearing me talk about it, because I really think this is, I mean, you thought the COVID reaction was big. I think this is going to be, this is going to fundamentally it's going to attempt to fundamentally change our society. And I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think this is the future of things. I think this is, it's a regurgitation of the past. It's a revamping of the past. It's, it does, I don't believe it moves us forward. Perhaps there are some areas where it's, the application uh, would produce progress, but it is not in the arts. It just isn't. You know, in so many industries, there's been talk of automation and and AI has taken the place of workers. Now we're seeing that technology move into more creative spaces uh, like like film, like television. I, I almost wonder if there's hubris to think AI will not come for you at some point, right? Like, you know, for the CEOs or, or the folks on the other end of the negotiating table, like, you know, at, at some point, will we have AI negotiators, AI executives, you know, um, what will those jobs, will those jobs too become vulnerable? Well, back when 20th was 20th and wasn't, uh, I think before it had been um, sold to Disney in 2020 or something, there was a story they had, they had been um, subscribing to a service 
an algorithmic service, AI powered, no doubt, that told them what to make. So if you already have that, then if, if a film development executive's job is to decide what to make, I mean, which one does it cheaper? Right. And, and it's a lot easier to automate that, those sorts of positions than it is to automate film and TV, though I'll say, the audiences now have grown so accustomed to, happily or unhappily, to sequels, reboots, you know, rehashings of the past, and in particular of the 20th century. And that's pretty easy to automate. So when people say, oh, it's not going to take place of, you know, real films and, and uh, you know, real human connections through, you know, the real human connections that are established in films. And I, yeah, yeah, I agree. But that type of project hasn't been in style or in demand for quite a while, at least 10, 15 years. I mean, there's been some exceptions, of course, but for the most part, that's that's not what the exhibitors are buying. That's not what they imagine they can have a lot of success with, with audiences. And anyway, that's easy to automate. And yes, I agree, the those um, executive positions are pretty easy to automate, too. And I read that you actually testified in the Senate in 2008 at a hearing on, on net neutrality. I don't know how much you're following the, you know, AI regulation debates here in D.C., but I wonder if, if there's anything you'd like to see lawmakers do on this issue. Yeah, I saw. I mean, it's great to see that Europe really jumped on it. But they also have restrictions, I believe, around social media as well. And we don't have that. I could be wrong about that. Um right. And yeah, I just saw that, um, and you tell me being out in Washington, um, uh, if I'm missing anything here, but it seems like they just put down some voluntary guidelines for that's right. these, uh, anyone dealing with AI. And maybe it's from my years of dealing with entertainment contracts, but when I see voluntary, it just means a best efforts. And people in entertainment will understand what that means, like bullshit. It means, it means I, I, I think people in Washington it. understand that too, and, and maybe <laughs> okay. had a similar reaction to some degree. So I don't know about that. And I saw they were, they were claiming that it will encroach on First Amendment rights and stuff. And I just think, well, you, but you were able to monitor the meat that we eat, you know, the food that we eat. You're able to monitor, you know, the safety of cars. There are regulations there. There are regulations in buildings. There are regulations in bridges. And this is one of those things that, well, not yet, at least, not physically going to harm people, but this is going to, and not just in entertainment, this is going to be in all areas of our lives, and it's going to so upset and confuse people's sense of reality. I think that's really going to fuck people up. And, and I think partly because of that, entertainment in particular, when we're on the other end of what I believe to be an inferno of, you know, crushing of the structure of the entertainment business, I think we're going to have something really new and really spectacular, or like a new genre in the arts that we, something we haven't had before, because I think people will want something real and raw and obviously human. And, and so to that end, to answer your question, I think perhaps it just be one thing would just be great is if there was absolutely a requirement that you had to say AI was involved in this. I mean, hell, we have to do it with produce. You have to say whether, or not, you know, if you want something, if you want a stamp that says it's organic, you have to hold to certain standards. So like I have, you know, I've established this Credo 23 
which is going to be a stamp available to filmmakers who want to tell the audiences that they made a quote normal film that they made. They didn't use generative AI. They used VFX minimally and CGI minimally. And uh, they used a union crew. You know, it's something really simple and it's really, you know, I wish it wasn't something we even had to focus on, but at least something like that will give the audience confidence or they'll be able to relax into the program and not feel like, oh, wait a minute, did I just watch a a fake person or did I just watch something that was manipulated and the actor didn't really say those things? And It's sort of transparency, right? And just um, just people don't want to feel duped, I think. That's it, you know, because there's going to be a lot of that. In fact, I encourage people to take a moment with your family, put your phones in the other room because half your apps are listening to you and just establish a password. So if somebody calls in, you know, if your dad gets a phone call in Stephen's voice and says, I need someone to wire me $5,000 right now, I'm in trouble. And if he says, what's the password? And that voice doesn't say the password, then he can assume that's a, that's a voice clone. Right. And just hang up. Well, I know that you know, the the voluntary guidelines we were discussing, they include like a pledge to kind of label generative wow. AI, but what shape that will actually take, how well it will be enforced, all of those questions are still outstanding. So it, it's far from a settled matter, you know, to your to your point. Um, you know, one, you're sort well, of- Well, Stephen, wait, oh, Stephen, can I ask you something? You know, you're please. out in Washington. Why do you think- that the U.S. I mean, my theory is that they they get too much money is contributed, you know, because of Citizens United, and there's too much money is contributed to political campaigns through tech companies, and they don't want to, the politicians, may, you know, writing the legislation don't want to stop that gravy train. But that's my theory. But you tell me, being out in Washington, is that the reason why, like, they can't just put some rules up like the EU just did? I mean, there's no question that, like. Tech money is thrown around very widely in Washington, and they are very influential when it comes to shaping regulation. There's two other factors at play, though. One, what does separate the U.S. from Europe is that the companies making AI are, by and large, American companies, at least many of the leaders. So there is sort of, a, I think, a different perspective regulating an industry that is largely based in a foreign country as opposed to an industry based in your country, right? One that for decades now has generated a lot of jobs and, you know, made, you know, made some people uh, very rich, obviously. I I think the other factor too, and, you know, we heard this in a recent interview on the podcast, we had a senator from Indiana on who made the point that lawmakers do hear some of the benefits that come from AI and some of the other industries, perhaps, where it can be used for, um, you know, advancing new health discoveries or, you know, potentially like rooting out, you know, financial corruption. Um, and so they feel a, they feel a need, I guess, to find the right balance between the good and the bad on AI. And I don't think anyone really knows where that line is. Um, that's, yeah. frankly, what lawmakers are working on now. Um, and you wouldn't, uh, I think your perspective is, is, unique because uh, obviously you've been in entertainment a long time. I know you went back to school to study kind of computer science. Yeah, I have a CS degree. Right. Um, My question is sort of what do you understand or feel you understand about AI and really these tech changes in general that are shaping the entertainment industry that maybe some of your peers either don't understand or, or, or maybe just kind of catching up to as part of the strikes? Well, I mean, one of the advantages of having a CS degree is 
that you understand how coders think about things. And I'll tell you, one, one root way that coders think about things is a little bit of set it and forget it. There are some apps that work like that, some platforms that work like that. TikTok, Twitter, though I don't know what Twitter's turning into, um, Instagram, Facebook, and they have new products and stuff. But for the most part, it's set it, forget it. They're not having to fill it with a bunch of stuff. They're not having to fill those shelves. Other people do. You and I, we, we continually post and put photos up and videos up and we're filling the shelves, right? Now imagine you're the tech companies of, you know, the video aspect of Amazon, right? Netflix, Apple TV, and you can't, you're a tech company, but you can't set it and forget it. And I can imagine that's at least slightly frustrating for them, right? They'd love to be, I'm sure like TikTok or Twitter or something where they've built it and then just put the stuff in. But instead, they have to make deals to acquire this content to, uh, I hate the word content, but to acquire these films and series. And then on top of that, when those licensing deals become a little awkward or expensive, then they started making their own stuff. And now they've got to deal with directors and writers and and producers and actors right. and locations and, and fringes and, you know, pension and health payments. And that's a different experience than just being a straight up tech company has a platform. So in that sense, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't want to customize generative AI, all AI films that are customized to somebody's viewing history and even have an upcharge for people who want to get themselves scanned or just upload a photo of themselves and get put themselves in the films, either through face replacement oh, or that's complete replacement. So because that way you can not only be selling them these all AI films that are customized to their viewing habits or their, their viewing history, right? And that's a set it and forget it kind of thing, right? Right. Because people understand, right? The generative AI can't do anything on its own. It has to be fed things, right? It's like a, an empty blender, okay? And you got to put all your smoothie ingredients in there to really get something. So if you've got that set and forget it, then you on the, on top of it can have an upcharge where you charge people more to put themselves in it. And if we've learned anything from social media, it's that this incredible beast of narcissism in human beings has been awakened big time. Then they would sort of have a set it and forget it in a different way as uh, places like Twitter and Instagram and, and TikTok have. I'm coming back in my mind to this question of, is there a way for the government to sort of push back against some of this in your view, whether that's, uh, you know, companies using AI to replace workers or even something like, um, you know, legal protections for creative works used by AI? I guess uh, I'm wondering just what way the government can get involved here in a way that feels or seems productive in your mind. Well, you know, a couple of things I'd like to see. That would, that would really help. And like I said, I, I don't know that anything can be done to stop this destruction I think is coming, but I would love to see the FTC get more involved with breaking up some of these monopolies. Really. I'd love to see the, I know the Paramount decrees, which separated the studio from studios from owning the cinemas, the, the theaters. Um, I know that has sunsetted. And then the FinCEN rules that we had up through the mid-90s that separated a, a network from uh, producing their own work. When you had that separation, at least with the FinCEN rules, 
you were able to do a lot of original uh, television programs that then those showrunners could shop around to all the different networks and make them bid against each other and get the best price, the best condition, the best sort of situation for themselves. And there was a lot of originality during that span of time. So I'd love to see the Finn Sin rules come back. So like Netflix can either be a producer or a distributor, not both, or hmm. an, uh, an exhibitor, right? right? Either be an exhibitor or a producer. Same thing with Apple, same thing with Amazon, and same thing with the networks, and same thing with, with everybody. Just allow this product to be made not by executives. Allow the films and television shows to be made by people who make these things who are going to bring in, like I said, tubes through which, like really original and new uh, and don't let this be led by algorithms. Anyway, so anyway, there's nothing that the government can do about, you know, anything being led by algorithms, any decision making being led by that. But at least we can have this sort of monopolistic kind of pipeline right. broken up. Um, and the other thing I'd like to, I'd like to see the copyright office and I, I mean, maybe they are involved. I don't know, but I would like to see them absolutely descend on these video generative AI companies. Hmm. They are, I mean, unless it's a company that only feeds in their own home videos, they're copyright. This is like, in my mind, if, if they have fed in a hundred years of film and television history, or, you know, I know TV doesn't go back that far, but essentially a hundred years of filmed entertainment, mm -hmm. that's the largest copyright violation in the history of the United States. But maybe the copyright office is on it and it's just not in the news yet. I don't know. But that's another place where I wish the government was was involved. It, it is an interesting point. And I think the copyright office is sort of grappling with that uh, in real time. You know, you've you've said and I've definitely heard loud and clear that art and AI don't don't go together. I guess if I were to challenge you to find one positive about the use of AI in entertainment, what would that be? I will say that I've seen it used in the vein of experimental video. Hmm. And in that sense, you know, you see how strange and trippy the results are. And it's something like, you know, we first started seeing, I don't remember what it was called, but Google sent out a while ago their machine learning on images. And you would see right. like a cat's face with all these swirls on it. And then like a human nose emerging through each one of the swirls. And it was very bizarre. This is a while ago. One of the listeners hopefully can, can remind us of uh, what this was actually called. Call in. Yeah, please. <laughs> but in that sense, it's kind of trippy. It's kind of trippy, kind of um, random, like a random assemblage of imagery. That's interesting for experimental video, but I feel like trying to, or now, you know, incorporating generative AI into film, I think now is, is, is being done by people who don't even understand what film and series are for. Not a lot of upsides, I guess, is, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, just listen, uh, Justine, thank you so much for, for being on the Politico Tech Podcast. It's been great to have you here. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Politico Tech this week. What's your biggest concern about the way AI is showing up in your industry or policy area? Tell us about it. Send us an email at techpodcast at politico.com. 
For more technology news, subscribe to our newsletters, Morning Tech and Digital Future Daily. Some of the music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editor is Steve Heuser. I'm Stephen Overly. Have a great weekend, and I'll meet you back here on Monday.